Hello and welcome back to The Writer's Story. I'm Kristen Swenson. I'm Meredith Cole. And uh, we're excited every month to uh, talk about writing and craft and uh, talk to other writers about their stories. And today we have a very special guest. We're excited to welcome Katherine Erskine, National Book Award winning author. And uh, but first we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with us this week and some of the things that we're working on. And, um, and when I started thinking about this with Kristen, I think the first thing that came into my mind um, and what I'm thinking about right now is about feedback. And I think often we think as writers that we write in a vacuum, <laughs> that we don't get a lot of feedback. but eventually you do. Eventually you send it to your editor, your agent, or your re a reader. And in my case, it's a writing group. And um, I'm also teaching writing. So I've just been thinking a little bit about what makes valuable feedback and then what you do with the feedback you receive. And I told Meredith that sounded like exactly the thing that I'd like to talk about too today, because I am working through edits uh, on a book somewhat like Bible Babble, um, that is about the Bible and how it's a lot weirder than most people think it is. And that book is in uh, sort of final stages with Oxford University Press, where the editor has sent me substantial and substantive <laughs> <laughs> editing remarks, critiques, and comments for change. And so I'm working my way through those. So Meredith and I are both in positions of accepting and digesting feedback um, presently. Yeah. And I think it's always challenging. I mean, I think sometimes the first reaction to feedback, especially if the feedback means r revising in a substantial way, is this person is crazy. <laughs> um, because it does seem so daunting. Um, and, I, and I think there's a, there's a whole issue of... Uh, falling in love with things in your book that maybe don't belong anymore by the time you finish a draft. And that's always a really hard thing because I think we write because we love to write and occasionally we write things that we love ourselves to read and, that, and it's hard to have that breakup, I think, sometimes with an original idea or something that maybe doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, but I do also find it very energizing to um, engage with someone else's ideas about what's on the page. Once it's on the page, I feel like it's less mine than it had been when it's in my head. <laughs> and so having someone comment on that is kind of fun. And when they see something they think might be changed to improve, I'm in the case of this editor, I'm inclined first to go with his suggestions. But there have been many times when those don't suit me. And then it, it requires of me figuring out how to say why. Um, not necessarily in a way that's convincing, but is my why truly convincing? Um, which is something I have to ask of myself when I'm, when I'm editing. So it's, um, yeah, a bit of a push-me-pull-me, but I do kind of find it fun to engage with another person's critique. Yeah, and I think you're, you're entering it with exactly the right attitude, which is to first sort of say to yourself, you know, why did they say this? And it could be that 
um, the suggestion isn't the solution. And I think the first thing a lot of people do the first time they get a critique, especially if it's someone that they're, it's very important that the person likes their book, like an editor, is that they <laughs> slavishly do what they say and um, without sort of considering it. And I like that you're really considering each comment and then saying to yourself, if I'm not going to do this, what am I going to do? And why or why am I not doing this? Because that means you're really working through the process in a thoughtful way and thinking about what the book is and how does it tie together and what's the best thing to do? And it probably also means that you had enough distance from your first draft. Because yes. I think a first draft can feel very personal and you can get really attached to things. But if you immediately started editing, yes, it maybe would have been too soon, but maybe it feels <laughs> less like yours since you've gone away and worked on novels think, mm -hmm. and had the editor had it for a little while too. Yes, I think that is very true. The time away, he'd had it for some time working through in the privacy of his office. And yes, I think you're exactly right. Having some time away from it enables me to take the criticisms um, in the spirit in which they're delivered as ideas for improvement. And uh, yeah, some of them, so it, the single word suggestions are pretty easy to tackle and satisfying to move through page by page. It's the bigger stuff, the maybe we need a new chapter on that I'm really wrestling with and I still am. I'll, I'll figure out how to proceed with those, but it's not oh, an easy answer. The, the new chapter made my stomach fall to my, <laughs> to my knees. Yeah. No. Thankfully, there's suggestions of moving existing material out of present chapters and into new chapters rather than composing whole new chapters, well, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think the difference is between journaling for your own gratification or emotional fulfillment versus working with a team yes. who's going to be published. I mean, he's concerned that this is an Oxford University Press book. Yes. So if you had suddenly done a chapter in verse or something, that would be confusing, <laughs> you know, and maybe, yes. but maybe it's brilliant, but maybe it doesn't fit with their book. So you do have to think about your team yes. and people yes. and sort of respect their professional judgment and yes. make sure that they're comfortable. Yes. And the idea of this book, part of it is that it would be a book that's inviting and fun for non-educated non-specialists to read. So general readers. And so my tone is, as he wrote in his general comments, sometimes has gone too far into, I believe the word might be cheeky. Cheeky? Oh, how <laughs> um, British. <laughs> yes, and he's not even British, but anyway. Um, he's picked it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I may be projecting, but, um, but he said it's much easier to dial that back than to try to bring it up. So we're having some fun with it. I hope he is too. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is nice to be working... Um, with a team on a project. Uh, it's also, it's as you all know, it's own pleasure to sit with your own page and, and work through things. Now, Meredith, you're also teaching a bit. Can you talk a little bit about the feedback related to teaching? Oh, yeah. I think, um, I think it gives you a lot of sympathy for editors when you teach because if you are really trying to help people, you have to do a lot of stretching and thinking and... Um, finding ways to give feedback in a constructive way that doesn't make people just 
collapse under the yeah <laughs> under the, the the horribleness of <laughs> you know and I just think it's, it's really challenging but I, I think I think um what I understand now is what makes a very good editor is someone who really wants your project to succeed and so they're um they're more doing those minute adjustments to the you know, it's more like a tune-up mm-hmm. than it is like, let's buy a new car. Yeah. And if someone says, let's buy a new car, they're probably not the best editor for you. Yeah, making it more their book than your book. Right, or saying, or saying, oh, this is yours. a great idea, but have you thought of it as a science fiction, you know, erotic romance? And then you'd say, <laughs> no, it's not, and, and this is, we probably shouldn't work together. Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's the whole thing, trying to figure out what people want to do. Yes. And yeah. then trying to help them get there. And that's, yeah. I find that exhausting, and so I would say that I haven't done a lot of writing. And I find it very hard to teach and write at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be eager to catch up next month and hear. See, and I've and yeah. got another class starting next month, which will be mystery writing right now. I'm wow. teaching screenwriting to teenagers. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and that's been interesting. Yeah. You know, but they, they come in and say, I know I didn't do my writing. I had too much homework. And what can I say? I just, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm also going to be showing my um, my first YA chapter to uh, a writing group that I belong to uh, on Wednesday. And I'm really interested to hear their feedback. I think I have a lot of questions about voice and, you know, writing in a new genre. And yeah wondering just about tone and a lot of things when you when you switch to a new genre and a new audience. And will you get that feedback immediately on Wednesday? Yes. Are they already reading it? They're reading it right now. Oh, good. And so Wednesday I'll, I'll get feedback and then give feedback. And there are eight of us, so it's wow. going to be quite a marathon session. <laughs> yes. Well, good luck with it. And <laughs> we'll you. be eager to hear how it goes. We are so excited to have with us today Catherine Erskine, a National Book Award winning author of the novel Mockingbird. She has written a number of novels for children, but still across genres. And we're just delighted that you could be with us, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're going to just start off, I guess, a little bit, Kathy, and just talk about... um, you know, we always say, you know, are writers born or are they made? It's probably always yes. But sort of what was your path to becoming a full-time writer? It was a, a, a long, slow path. I always enjoyed writing, and I wrote as a kid like a, a lot of authors do. Uh, but I figured that I would become a full-time writer once I retired from my law practice and I could spend time just writing what I wanted. And then my my mom passed away shortly after retiring, and it was a wake-up call that if you really want to do something, you shouldn't put it off for decades. You should go ahead and do it. So I started writing then, and I eventually went to part-time as a lawyer, which doesn't work because you get paid for part-time, and then you go in on the weekends to do all the work. That you <laughs> uh, so eventually I quit altogether and stayed home with the kids and wrote as much as I could. And it still took a while to get published. I think I took my first 
class in 1996, and my first novel with a traditional publishing house came out in 2007. So it it was a journey. Yeah. <laughs> I've been uh, very glad I did it and, and fortunate to meet wonderful people and supportive people along the way so that I've been able to make a you know, career of it in the sense of my husband works so he can support me, that kind of a career. (laughs) (laughs) You have on your website, I just love playlists associated with each of your books. Can you talk a little bit about the role of music in your writing process? Yes. I don't actually listen to music while I'm writing. I have to have complete silence and preferably a completely empty house. It's all about me when I write. (laughs) Uh, But I, I do think about characters or the plot or the time period, and music can help set the mood for that. And I will listen to that when I'm driving or doing something that's not writing and it can really help you get unstuck because it helps you think about maybe being that character who would listen to the type of songs you have selected for that character to listen to and uh, or the time period because the music represents what was going on in that part of the world or in that era and It just is a great part of research to be able to think and feel the times or the people and really does help you get unstuck or inspire you to get back to your writing if you've, you know, just kind of gotten busy and haven't been in in it for a while. I love that um, advice. I think we were just talking, you know, earlier about, about, uh, changing the scene of where you're writing to sort of help you get started again. You know, we sometimes get stuck or we get, we feel like we get, um, we haven't, we can't progress our story forward. I love the idea of using music yeah. as a way to sort of, you know, yeah. unlock a different direction for yourself or get you more centered yeah. in your character. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know what a great venue is? the shower. I don't know why, but when you get in the shower, you start having these creative thoughts. And my problem is remembering them long enough to write them down once you get out. Yeah. We should invent some sort of board for authors in our shower that you can can write on. (laughs) I actually got a scuba diving board. Did you you really? On your little ideas. So, because, you know, I think of like the perfect sentence and then by the time I get out, it's become it's jumbled gone. again. It's so, gone, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, that. Did you say you have one, Kathy? You, oh, well, there goes my there goes my million dollar idea. Oh well, I'll have to think. I'll have to think again. <laughs> my startup. <laughs> so I have heard of people like clipping pictures out of magazines that they think represent some element of the story, whether it's setting or the characters, which I find I've never done that, but it makes a lot of sense to me that it could jog your imagination in ways that could be really fruitful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good also to have sort of a 
uh, a goal. I don't do this every year, I should, but I try to remember at the beginning of the year to write down some things that I want to accomplish that year, including writing. And for that, that's the only time I do actually clip out pictures of you know, this, I, this is what I think my character looks like, or this is the setting. And it just sort of helps get it in my head that this is something I want to be working on this year. I do sometimes, because I visit schools and talk to kids and my novels aren't illustrated, I will sometimes use some pictures I have or find some photos that I think are representative of the time period or sometimes even play them some music from the era uh, to give them something a little more concrete to hang on to when talking about a story. Nice. Cool. Nice. So I'm thinking a little bit about how a number of your novels involve characters who are fascinated, passionate about science and math. I'm thinking like the absolute value of Mike and this kid who is fascinated with calculus, I think it is. The incredible magic of being and quaking, these kids whose interest in sciences is um, just in their blood. They're, um, they're so fascinated that it becomes a part of their whole narrative. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I just, I found like the incredible magic of being there's, it's, it seems, I don't know how to describe it, almost easy the way this kid um, is, uh, incorporates what he has learned of the sciences in the ways that he looks at the world. And it's so beautiful and endearing and yeah, inspiring. Well, thank you. I think that's the best example of incorporating science in any of my books, and that was uh, somewhat purposeful. Um, I realized that as a kid, I was fascinated by science. I really enjoyed every element of it. Um, oh, no pun intended. Um, and <laughs> I realized, too, as I got older, it got I don't know, somehow less fun, and uh, I just, and maybe a little more difficult, and uh, the the arts were so easy and enjoyable that I just took that path, and sometimes I've regretted not being more into the sciences and pursuing that more, but we can all be citizen scientists, and certainly as kids, I would like kids to appreciate the world of science and also just what it um, what it means in relation to real life. I mean, these scientific concepts really are transferable to you know day to day living. And I did want to kind of integrate science into real life because it is a part of our life and do it in a way that was kind of fun, so it didn't yeah. make it off putting or scary. Uh, and try explain things like parallel universes in a way a kid could understand, i.e. a way I could understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also love. I think um, I don't. I think that we tend to, to segment too much in our in mm -hmm. our in our society. We think of arts as creative and sciences. And, and I think um, I think the best scientists are incredibly creative. Yes, I mean, you have to approach a problem from a brand new angle and just sort of the investigating and exploring and just being curious. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's makes what you, it's all you know, 
makes you a wonderful artist. It also makes you a really wonderful scientist, you know, just to, yeah. And observing. I think that's the thing too. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ask and, questions. Yep. Yeah. 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 And the role that those things play in your books is very much in service to the story and the characterization. So it doesn't feel like, it never feels like now you're we're applying do a it. For exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back to our story. <laughs> so, do you do you start? Um, where do you start with that? Do you start with a character, um, plot idea? Yeah, I always start with character, and I usually have absolutely no clue of plot till I'm a fair ways into the story. Wow. The plot has to really grow organically for me. I've tried to force it before and it just feels forced. So I have to be patient and sit there with the characters. First, the main character starts talking in my head and then he or she starts having conversations with other characters. I have a really good feel for the characters and who they are and also the setting, where they Mm. are. I mean, mm-hmm. feel like I'm sitting there with them in their house or in their community or by the creek or whatever. Uh, that is all very strong. Uh, but why they're there and what I'm supposed to be doing with them, <laughs> that is the hard part for me. And it takes a while to develop. And as I say, I can't force it and say, oh, this must be a story about X. Because it, it, it probably isn't. I probably just have to wait and see what grows. And then I'm about at least half the way, two-thirds the way through this uh, kind of story that's morphing into something. And that's when I do, it's not really an outline, but a kind of a chapter summary, brief chapter summary, just so I can see where is this going and is this making any logical sense? Is there a path being created? Are there characters who haven't shown up for a long time? And so maybe they're either not important or they need to come back into the story more. And the, and it, the structure kind of grows from there. And, if, and it does, the plot does go towards what does my character want? What, what are they looking for and why? And that is what leads me to the plot. I can't uh. figure it without them really yeah Yeah. I I think it's um, really challenging Um, it's a great description of what your process is I think it's really challenging for first-time writers when they start writing and then someone says well you just haven't started your story yet now you just throw all this away and start over and they're like and but I think what you're talking about is you're doing the work of finding your story and it feels like you're writing pages and it seems like it would be in a book but maybe it's just the character work or the you know yeah, exactly. It's, work. A, yeah. it's definitely worth it. I mean, no writing is wasted. Even if you go down the wrong path and you have to pull back, um, at least you've learned, okay, that's not what the story is about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's one door we're not going through. <laughs> <laughs> but you do really get to know your, your characters, and that just comes out in your final writing, whatever is going to be the final story. You have just become steeped in those characters, so they feel like real people. And that's the way I like to think of them, really, is as people, not characters. They are actual human 
living beings and they have these feelings and quirks and everything like like all of us and because you spend a lot of time with them they they do become sort of like real people not not in a really weird way just (laughs) (laughs) oh we've heard that ship has sailed kathy we understand (laughs) we understand i think writers have to be slightly crazy but i i think what um also to your your process what you're describing with i had someone once uh, describe a writing friend of ours as saying when you opened her book there was a confidence to her voice that made mm. you see that you were in good hands mm-hmm. and I think what what it uh, the knowledge of your characters and the plot that comes across as a confidence too I mean I think for the reader that you can just relax you know yes. you're not reading fall you're, into the story fall into the story they're going to yes. take care of you you're going to end up someplace and you're going to be so satisfied at the end you know yes yes yeah all right, totally unrelated to any of this. I feel like need time to, to talk offer. about food. <laughs> food. It's always time to talk about food. Um, I feel I need to offer a, um, an apology. In the background, there's some weird sounds. I don't know if they're getting picked up. It's my dog chewing on his bone, and he and he chose this time also to eat his very crunchy kibble. So, there. so are you not, are you hearing it, Kathy? I'm not. No. Okay. Good. Good. Well, it may come through in the recording. If, if Kristen and I start giggling, it's probably because Charlie's Charlie. gotten really loud and we're like, oh no, everyone's going to be like, what's that noise? He thinks everyone's doing something. I need to too. Oh, Very man. busy here. Very busy here. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. So Kathy, you mentioned that setting is also something that you feel early on or you get a, you work to get a good sense of early on. And I am reminded of your um, your own personal bio. That is, that you you have lived all over the world even before you were like a teenager. Can you talk a little bit about that? And does that inform the way that you write? What if somebody only has lived in the same small town? Can they still be a good writer? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we all just need our imaginations and research, and uh, and that helps our writing. I was lucky to be able to move around and live in different cultures, and I think that uh, helped to make me more aware and understanding of differences in cultures and people uh, appreciate different settings. I mean, I know even as a little kid in South Africa, I really appreciated the sunrises and sunsets and how uh, they were just stunning to me. And obviously they must have been stunning because most, you know, six-year-olds aren't fixated on sunrises and sunsets. Um, And I think it has helped in certain ways, like with Mockingbird telling a story from the perspective of someone with uh, social difficulties, I could identify with my character having to be in a situation that felt strange because I often was. Even yeah. Every school community I entered was a whole different world and you didn't know what was acceptable, what wasn't, how to behave, what to say. It was awkward. So that gave me the chance to feel that. We've all had that in some kind of setting. Um, I just happen to have it a lot. So it was made made my um, my storytelling, I think, a little more authentic, having been through it. Yeah, yeah. And I think about your experiences 
in South Africa during apartheid, right? This was still when apartheid was in full swing. And um, I'm thinking a little bit about your novel, Seeing Red, as well as Ihubasi, is that how you pronounce it? The lion, um, which is set there. But um, Seeing Red is set in a small town in Virginia. And I'm I'm hearing some parallels um, between those books in the ways that they wrestle with uh, maybe, well, with the ways that people reject other people um, or develop ideas about whole groups of people based on what they had been taught or told or seen in their personal communities. Yeah, definitely. That came from my experiences in South Africa, uh, in Virginia in the 60s, and in Alabama in the early 70s. Oh. So uh, I had a lot of you know, obviously racial, anti-racial experiences. I was aware of you know, uh, demonstrations in D.C. or even in Johannesburg where we lived. I remember one day my dad came home and it was it was the old beetle you know the old folks one um and it was completely crushed dented he'd been through a very angry group of people and rightly so um and uh, my my mother was always very good about putting things in perspective uh of that you know these were people who were justifiably angry and had no other way that they were allowed to express themselves. So this is what was normal for them to have to do. Uh, or in you know, when we moved to Virginia and as a, you know, a kid, I was maybe nine or something. And I said, well, you know, at least we don't have apartheid in this country. Oh boy. <laughs> so proud and um my mother saying oh, oh yes we do we just don't call it that oh, wow wow so it was you know good to have that kind of um perspective uh given that you know, people who grew up without that like my white peers in south africa who were kind of taught that they were superior beings which is just outrageous, but at the same time, you can see how if you are groomed to think that, yes. and there's no um, no other attitude, then you could start buying into that uh, indoctrination. So sure. Well, it also um, it's also so interesting because I think it brings up how um, you know the power of stories, you know, and how people in those um, cultures think of stories as really dangerous because they do tell another point of view. They do tell, you know, the other side of the story and the power of writers to illuminate, you know. Yeah. And the act of reading is a real act of empathy, um, of being open to embracing someone else's ideas. Right. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Ones that are very different from your own or or see you as the enemy or, you know, it's, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's amazing. So, yeah. Mm. So, can you tell us a little about what you might be working on now? Well, I have a couple of novels for kids, but I'm also working on a picture book. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about 
talk about it that much, but it's okay. actually been a really interesting and wonderful collaboration because usually um, the picture book writer and artist are kept apart. And this one, the artist and I kind of worked together on the story and the project. And mm. it was really cool. So I'm excited about that. And I'm actually for something different, working on several adult novels, because oh, I do like to kind of challenge myself. So I have done middle grade and young adult and a picture book and um, a couple of novels in verse that are, you know, still working on. And I have some more ideas for novels in verse. Uh, but I hadn't done an adult novel. And I thought, why not? I'm going to try that. So. <laughs> I love the idea of you challenging yourself. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, we, we, we talked about that a little bit. I had, had written a couple of mystery novels and I think I did have a little bit of a, a crisis where I was sort of like, is this what you want to do the whole rest of your life is write just one kind of book. Mm. And, and I think, I think we can really, um, the, the publishing industry really tries to push you into that. So do you feel like you get pushed back from your, your agent or your editor or whatever to, to just come out with the next, you know, the next book that as successful as your last book or are they, do they, are they supportive of your uh, desire to explore? I think they're pretty supportive and my, and my agent in particular, who is just very open to, you know, you have to follow your journey. And if you want to focus on the adult right now, that's totally fine. It's, you know, whatever uh, life is leading you to at the moment. And I think that's a good attitude because as writers, I think we want that freedom. I don't think we operate well. I certainly don't. If I'm told what to write, yeah. I can write something different. <laughs> it's hard enough to write every day. <laughs> We're rebels at heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Will you talk a little bit about the novels in verse? I'm curious about that. The process, the form. Yeah, that's a challenge for me too, just like a picture book, because I tend to write a lot uh, word heavy and I don't know if that's from being a lawyer or what but it's it's a disease I have so I, I'm trying to cure myself by learning how to write more succinctly and make every word count so uh, you definitely have to get in a rhythm for a novel in verse you can start out a little bit word heavy which I do and then keep pulling back and pulling back. You comb through every time to just leave some empty spaces. It's mm -hmm. a lot of writing novel, a novel in verse is um, suggestion. You're not telling what's going on. You're not even uh, presenting like a movie what's going on. You are giving little snippets of thoughts and, you know, YouTube tweet teasers, whatever, <laughs> and, and and the the reader fills in, and that's it's I maybe a little more collaborative than a, a standard novel, and I think that's part of its appeal as well as being short. <laughs> so. Interesting. Does it have yeah. a rhythm like iambic pentameter, or is it free? You can make it that way, and some some writers do. Um, mine is just totally free verse because mm -hmm. again, 
I like freedom. So (laughs) (laughs) the first that that is a couple of words, a few words, and then there might be one that's substantially longer. I try to make none of them more than a page, though. Wow. Wow, that's fascinating. I think you should, if you haven't already, you should do a workshop on that. I think that sounds really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And did you, with those same starting point with character... Yes. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's always the character first. And, and, um, and in a way, uh, novel and verse is natural for somebody who's a, a, a character writer because you're inside their head. So you're just spilling on paper some of their thoughts. So, Kathy, I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about how you're making this shift into writing for adults and maybe any particularities about that project that you'd be willing to share at this point? It's really interesting. I just write the story that comes to me, and this happened to be a story that's obviously for adults because it's a a man in his 60s going on a journey and uh, finding redemption, and so it's not really a kid's story, although there is a teenager in it because I tend to populate my books with all ages of characters because I think uh, the story can appeal to a wide range of readers uh, because our lives are populated with all different ages. And for this one, it's uh, set where I used to live in Canada, which has been a lot of fun because it's been a little bit of a trip down memory lane and reconnecting Mm -hmm. with people, uh, but also going back a few times to, to see how the land lies literally and hear the voices and just feel the wind, smell the earth. I mean, all of that I think makes a difference Hmm. as well as asking people who live in that locale to read your draft and let you know, is that how something would be said? Is that how that church would be referred to? Is that, how they refer to schools and, you know, what's elementary, what's, you know, even, you know, just little basic things like that. Uh, But also some underlying cultural norms that you might have overlooked and to make it more authentic and to be respectful to the culture. I think it's really important to have that kind of feedback and it's been wonderful. I've heard some, you know, gotten some really good advice and, and even writing advice from them. Like, okay, this paragraph, I was confused. So I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's so terrific. (laughs) problem but a writing problem so. <laughs> oh wow I mean I'm sure you're I, I always say everyone has something really to add if they're if they're a, if they're a good reader you know yes yeah and these are people who are in book clubs and also they they definitely love reading and stories and we, we can certainly talk about that another uh, you know another time Kristen but it's so interesting um I joined a book club with another writer friend Deb and she says oh gosh she learns a ton from hearing other people talk about other books. Yes. And, and that's, it's a great experience to just think about books and read other books and then also hear people. How are readers experiencing them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's great. Well, and you have, um, 
so much to offer. We're, we're happy. We're happy enough to, you know, be your neighbors here <laughs> and, um, and, and, and hear you talk about writing. And I know you do um, some teaching. I would say that not every writer is a great teacher, but I know you are a great teacher and you've got possibly some upcoming workshops you're teaching. Yeah, there's actually one uh, in early April, um, the second, the first full week, I guess, in, in April or this, no, I guess it's around April 6th. Anyway, um, it is called Whale Rock and it's in Frederick, Maryland, a little retreat where I will be doing workshops with the amazing Newbery award-winning uh, Gary Schmidt, and uh, we'll be talking about new beginnings. So this is not just for new projects, but maybe a new twist on an old project that you've uh, kind of run up against a wall with. Uh, then that will be great fun. And then in July, I often do the writing boot camp at, at the Highlights Foundation, which is in Pennsylvania, another beautiful bucolic country retreat, and a, another week of workshops. And both of these are geared towards uh, children's authors or young adult authors. But uh, certainly, I think the Whale Rock one, and it could include people who are writing for other ages or other genres. Wonderful. And how can people sign up for those? I think for for highlights, you just go to highlightsfoundation.org. And for Whale Rock, I think it's, um, I will look that up right now. I think it is. Well, I bet, and maybe people could find it if they search Whale Rock Writing. And your yes. name, maybe, yeah. 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 And this was 2019, in case someone's listening from the future. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but it sounds like you do the highlights uh, every year and probably have other opportunities in the future to to offer workshops. And, 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 ho and hopefully you'll have a chance with your busy writing schedule to keep some of that up to date on your website if people check in. And your website yes. is? CatherineErskine.com. Perfect. And Perfect. it's spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-E-R-S-K-I-N-E. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, Kathy, it's just been such a delight to have you. Thank you so much. And we wish you all the best with your future writing endeavors. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was really wonderful to speak with you. Thanks. Well, that was um, really, really wonderful to uh, talk to Kathy today. Um, I always am really inspired by hearing her story, and I love all the risks she takes and how she pushes herself and challenges herself. And um, and it was interesting. Also, I think this is something we talked about on a future podcast. Um, yeah. Her notion of using music and, and, and pictures and... Um, yeah, some of the tools a person might use to get a story going, develop a character, and maybe we'll pick up on some of the um, techniques a person might use to get unstuck. Yes. I, I really, when she was um, talking about her workshop, I thought, I want to go to that. <laughs> she is such a fantastic I really, teacher. I really, yeah. I just, the whole notion of a new beginning. Yes. I think we all 
grapple with that and um, and looking at something in a new way. How yeah. can you do that and make it fresh again if you've if you've written yourself into a corner or um, the book is not what you wanted and you want to start something over? And I think we definitely. Um, we're going to talk about that in the future. Yes. And um, next month we'll be back. Um, we'll have another wonderful guest. Um, since we we don't know who it is yet, we can't we can't pitch them now. But they're going to be wonderful because uh, we have such a great list of um, writers that um, we're dying to pick their brain and yeah. find out um, how they became writers and their process and um, and in the process learn a lot ourselves. So, yeah. Thanks so much again for joining us today.